0: What's shaking, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Proper English Podcast. Once again, it's your boy Blake the Great. Thank you for tuning in. Um, I, I can't thank you guys enough for tuning in to my last episode, White Girls, Machetes, and Walmart. Oh, my. If you haven't listened to that already, please do. Um, it, it's a very controversial episode uh, for the few listeners that I had after the first one. Um, first one was very structured, you know, just kind of giving you some background about myself and. Some 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 background on why my viewpoints are as strong as the way they are. And then the second episode was literally just showing you guys like what it's going to be, you know, as far as my take on things that are going on, you know, putting a different spin on it, just because I feel our generation has a unique opportunity to be able to have a platform and paint a different narrative for ourselves you know the media has controlled our narrative for the past what 500 years so I feel like we have the opportunity to take control into our hands so I'm going to tell my truth and and speak on that so um, a lot of people you know that I rock with you know shout out to all the white people the Mexican people the black people whatever race you are listening to this um, I rock with everybody that rocks with me and that rocks with hearing the truth and moving in a positive and forward direction. So if you're riding in that direction, man, I salute you. Keep, you know, keep grinding. you know, if you've got something or a project that you're putting out, you know, keep grinding and putting your truth out there. You know, it's definitely different for the, the older generations. You know, it's me saying the shit that I was saying last episode, I probably would have been hanging up on a tree somewhere if this was 30, 40 years ago. Not even that long ago, for real, for real. So. Anyways, um, and shout out to everybody who said that I was racist. (laughs) Like, first of all, it's impossible for me to be racist because that would mean that I have a system that can oppress and keep a whole sect of people in a certain position, no matter what, you know, I was dropping my lady off at, um, at her gig, um, downtown Chicago, man. And it's, it's just it, it's it's never more evident than when you're just looking out into the world and you see the positions that people are in. So I'm downtown Chicago, actually on the the north side. So like on the Magnificent Mile north of downtown, downtown. So a little bit of well, where the real wealth is of Chicago, a lot of money is there. Um, so it's just interesting to see in that part of downtown. All of the African-Americans that I saw at that time, it was around 9.30 in the morning. Um, Every African-American that I saw was in uniform at work doing something down there, right? Every person of color pretty much was in a uniform. But every single white person that I saw was either, they, they were at work too, but they were in a suit. You know, they were in you know, their clothes, working out, just living life, you know. But it's just interesting to me that you just see the blatant segregation. Like, black people don't live downtown. <laughs> black people work downtown. Colored people work downtown for the, for the most part. I'm not saying that there aren't some outliers or there aren't black people that live there. But in those situations, there's only tokens. There's never, like, a there's not, like, a black population that lives downtown, like, and the where the where a lot of the real money is. So it's just interesting to see that type of stuff at play. But where you do see black people living at the margin of income is a lot lower and you people will try to say well it's because of the people. Well, I think that if you put those people in a different set of circumstances and gave them different opportunities, then you <coughs> you would have a different situation on your hands completely. So that completely debunks the possibility of me even being racist now if you want to say that i'm prejudiced or i don't like a certain race listen I, I like i said i call a spade a spade if i see a duck i'm gonna call a duck When i call what i see is duck ass so i'm telling you right now um if i don't if some if some hispanics do some crazy shit i'm gonna say what i gotta say if some black people do some crazy shit i'm gonna say what i gotta say but i'm just gonna take this opportunity to put crazy white people on the platform you know what I'm saying just because we're always made to be criminals and we're always painted on that forefront so I'm like let me go ahead and just show you guys that there is another side of us and highlight the positive black things that are going on and show y'all that white America ain't shit so starting off Bill Maher holy shit <laughs> first of all I don't know if you guys know, but Bill Maher um, has a show that's been on HBO for a while now called Late Night with Bill Maher, and he had a bit where he had a Republican uh, representative on his show, and they were sitting on the couch going kind of back and forth, and the Republican guy, well, first of all, let me start off by saying that Bill Maher has pretty liberal views on his show. You know, um, I don't necessarily agree with everything that he says, for sure, um, but It it, it definitely um, struck me when I heard that he said nigga on live TV. And once I saw the clip and put it in context, first things first, the shit was hilarious, dog. (laughs) His comedic timing was perfect. So the way that it was set up, the Republican um, representative said, well, we would love to have you out in the field working with us. And Bill Maher goes, please, please, I'm a house nigga. Like. I was cracking up because i was like damn first of all that's some shit i would have said that's exactly how i would have said it and i would have reacted in that situation similarly but you just think with someone with bill maher's credibility and his longevity and the fact that he is well known for sleeping with black women that he would know better than to say nigga on live tv and the way that he said it like the way he used it was just like how a nigga would use the shit so I'm just like oh my god like he's he's gonna be fired like he's, he's definitely gonna be done away with I don't see him staying on TV that long or that much longer so it'll be interesting to see what happens next week on the next episode um, it's on HBO I'm definitely not gonna be checking it out I can tell you that right now but um, yeah he definitely fucked up on that one he said <laughs> he said I'm a house nigga oh and it kills me that he's a like a 50-plus-year-old white man identifying himself as a nigga. Like, times have changed. Times have changed. There ain't no white man th- three, three years ago that would have referred to himself as like, well, no, I take that back. I take that back. There's no real white people that would consider themselves an N-word even three years ago. So the fact that Bill Maher did that, Wow, man, that's crazy. Everybody want to be a nigga, but everybody want to be a nigga. (laughs) And shout out to Paul Moody for that quote. Um, But anyways, that was wild, though. I couldn't believe that he said that on live TV, and the backlash has already been crazy. So the days are counting down for you, Bill Maher. Just because you swim in a black ocean don't mean that when you get out to go tan, your ass won't burn. You feel me? But anyways, so... Moving on to Jigaboo news, come on, Jason Whitlock. Like last week, I brought up in my podcast uh, the situation where somebody spray painted nigger on LeBron James's Los Angeles home, and LeBron James made some really impressive statements to me, at least. Um, speaking the truth, talking about it doesn't matter how much money that you make in America. It doesn't matter if you're a celebrity. Like, being black in America, you'll always have to deal with some sort of oppression and hate, and you'll have racism to deal with. And I agree with him on that, because it doesn't matter how much money you make. You're always in that token situation. Like, LeBron is getting paid this money from Nike and from the NBA, but there's no black-owned corporation paying him the the money that he's making, and granted, he's giving black people jobs and doing things, and he's doing great things in the community, but he's only one man. He's only one person in that position. He's therefore weak, you know? He's vulnerable. He can't fight for everybody. You know what I'm saying? So, it, believe me, you, there's no way that any amount of money that one black person acquires is going to eliminate racism for their lives completely. So, Jason Whitlock saying that bullshit about how LeBron doesn't have to deal with real racism. Like this motherfucker has been doing some coonish shit lately, even with the whole of our ball situation. Like he needs to go on somewhere with that shit. Like he's, he's really got somebody like a white hand up his ass, like making his mouth talk. Like I'm really not feeling anything that Jason Whitlock has to say. And he's from Indianapolis. Like I got, I got some family out there, man. And, I love Indianapolis, but man, this is really putting a cloud a dark cloud on the city for y'all. Like I I know they ain't even trying to claim this motherfucker, so fuck Jason Whitlock. He's an Uncle Tom. Like he needs to chill with any of his comments because he are he should be the main one to know, especially the stuff that he tried to cover with Serena Williams. Like it doesn't matter what position you are, like in, in America, Serena Williams is the most dominant athlete in history. But you can't even have a conversation with any white person or any almost anybody like you could you could bring up the stats and then you'll be like, "Eh, well, I guess you're right. But she'll never get an award like she's the greatest athlete and the most dominant athlete of all time because she's a black woman and because she's black, period. So the only reason that they give Michael and LeBron and all these this these accolades and these titles is because they're still in a position of servitude they still have to abide by their contracts and follow rules and conduct they can't say certain shit otherwise they'll be fined and then there's like more fines and then if they go even further then it's like they can get dropped from their shit so Fall in line and do what Massa says or you won't be seeing the millions for too much longer. Like you will not be in that position that we put you in talking about black power and black pride and talking about a black utopia and creating a a system for us to live on and not having to depend on white dollars and white funding in order for us to sustain life. Like there's no way that they would allow any of that shit. So shout out to LeBron for doing what he can in the position that he's in. And shout out to all the athletes that do make a difference in the community and try, you know, in the position that they're in to make a true difference. Because it's not, you know, it's rare, man. It's not every day that you get artists that will forego the the funding from other, you know, from, from big companies and big corporations. <laughs> mm, excuse me, y'all. I apologize about that, guys. I had a smoothie this morning. And uh, every now and then it makes me a little gassy. So I apologize, I let that one kind of slip. But anyways, um, it it, it is rare. So um, one one celebrity that I do salute is uh, David Banner. And I don't, I really don't go a minute throughout the day without listening to music except when I'm recording. Even if I'm at work or something like, even if I'm making phone calls or something like that, I've probably got some music playing in the background. Um, I really love hip hop. I love R and B, jazz. Um, I, there's some pop that I love. There's some. There's a little bit of everything that I like. You know, my 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 playlists will range all the way from Nas to Jean Luc You know, it's it's all over the place. But um, one album that I've been bumping here lately is the God Box by David Banner. Now I know you guys know who David Banner is and know him from like Like a Pimp and um, uh, Stunting is a Habit, Get Like Me with Chris Brown and stuff. Um, but he's really gone through a huge transformation. And this last album that he dropped, The God Box, is really a testament to that. You know? um, He's, he's spitting some stuff on here that I've, I've never heard somebody come out and say, you know what I'm saying, on a record. Now, mind you, he did come out with an album in 2008 called Death of a Pop Star with Ninth Wonder that was completely slept on. Um, that was one of my favorite albums like period so definitely check that one out too but the guy box is is really it's a really awesome piece of work and i love the fact that he is you know spreading awareness about black other black businesses and other black entrepreneurs and collaborating with black businesses and black institutions you know to fund his movement you know he's not like like selling out or doing anything to to keep the dollars rolling in and he's definitely a motivation to always be yourself and stay true to your people you know because if you stay true to your people they'll stay true to you so salute to David Banner and I appreciate that personally so but man other than music man I I, I love checking out movies and stuff I I stay on Netflix you know Uh, shout out to Narcos I love that series. But, man, there's a movie coming out, and I haven't been to the movie theater. I'm trying to think of the last movie I went to go see. I think it was Star Wars Episode Seven. I took my son. But, anyways, there's a movie coming out called Made in America with Tom Cruise, and it's a movie about the CIA and their involvement, basically, in the drug trade and the guns and stuff that were coming in. During like the the 70s and 80s and shit with Pablo Escobar, you know, with like the explosion of cocaine and shit on the streets. So it it's it's wild to me that these movies and stuff are painting these, you know, these narratives and really showing this side of everything and the fact that the CIA literally was <laughs> was profiting off of this shit. The whole COINTELPRO and getting you know getting the drugs into the the urban neighborhoods and shit murders which is crazy and on the rise like seeing the cia's involvement and having tom cruise portray that shit and making it look cool as fuck like that's gonna be interesting like i'm it it's it's interesting because i feel like america dabbles with the truth they'll put the truth in your face but they'll put it in the form of entertainment or in a movie or some shit like that and then you can't take it seriously but definitely do your research um on cointelpro do your research um on the whole drug trade i definitely will be checking the movie out don't know if i'll be going to the theater to see it um just because motherfuckers got responsibilities no i'm just playing i'm probably not gonna go out there though um But one thing I was looking forward to doing this summer in the city, you know, in Chicago is the taste. And I was checking out the musical lineup for this year. And boy, is it fucking depressing. There's literally one act I saw on there that I was like, huh, I want to go see that. And that was the OJs. And that's on the Sundays from July 5th through the 9th. And it goes back to that whole segregation of the city and all the gentrifying that's going on and white people really wanting to take back the city. They moved to the suburbs, you know, and now they want to take back the city and shit. And this has been going on, you know, for decades. And I I just see it with the taste. It's just gotten so watered down over the years and it's, It's damn near depressing, you know. It's something that I used to go to every year as a kid. There used to be awesome performances. You know, Erica Badu and Jill Scott and, you know, all these different artists and stuff that used to come through. And now literally the only act that would attract basically African Americans is the OJs. Like, there's no... There's no performances from any local artists, any local Chicago rap artists. Like, Tink ain't performing. You know what I'm saying? Like, they didn't even go, like, the safe route and grab somebody like Chance or something like that. Like, nobody's messing with the taste. So, And it doesn't help that ever since they switched it to that ticket system, like, that shit is messed up. And then the food places that they have out here. It's, it's perfect for, like, a tourist who doesn't know Chicago and can never actually go to a restaurant. But but I, I can go to Portillo's anytime. Like I can go to Giordano's. Like I ain't even trying to mess with that kind of pizza. You know what I'm saying? Give me some. Uh, if you're on the north side, give me some JB Albertos. You know what I'm saying? If you in like West Loop, give me some uh, Art of Pizza. You know what I'm saying? There's like all different places I could go. If you go down south and get some Beggars Pizza or you know some some Aurelios or some Waldo's. Like there's so many dope places that have good food and all different types of cuisines that. The taste is just not highlighting anymore it is not doing chicago justice so i'm probably not going to be going to the taste this year if i do go i'll check it out one day but that whole going all five days and four days so you can see all the musical acts and stuff like that and it being turned you know what i'm saying seeing the fireworks on the fourth of july weekend and it's it's just not that anymore so rest in peace to the taste of chicago festival that Filled my childhood with so many great memories in front of Buckingham Fountain, watching the fireworks. You will be missed. It's crazy. All the all the festivals and stuff that you know were really cultured um, from a lot of in my other hometowns in Bloomington. The Culture Fest, like it's not the same anymore. That used to be a whole weekend event where basically. It was, it was the black thing to do in Bloomington. All the black people that were in Bloomington Normal or in that area used to come out. There was local music acts. There Sometimes, you know, they would have people come in. Like, one year they had SWV. Like, it was lit, man. Like, that, that was a big part of my childhood. And I just, I feel bad for the kids that are in that area now because I know there ain't nothing to do but get pregnant and get high. So it's, it's just an unfortunate situation that there's not a lot of festivals for us to go to because quote unquote, we go out and we don't know how to act. Well, the problem also arises where It's not even just we don't know how to act or you have black people that don't know how to conduct themselves. There's people of every race that don't know how to conduct themselves and that are ignorant as shit that get into fights and stuff and that shoot and do crazy stuff at festivals and at schools and at random places where they're not supposed to anyway. So let's not just act like this is a black thing that happens because you don't shut down school because white people are shooting up schools left and right, but schools aren't stopping. But black events We'll have one shooting and then that black event is non-existent anymore. And I'm just tired of that shit. We need to start our own event. So if anybody wants to link up and have a festival in Chicago, you know, I would love to collaborate. You know, I would love to be like a, you know, if I I can use my voice or my platform to help out, like I'm willing to collaborate. So calling out all Chicago artists, all Chicago curators, you know, let's put something together, you know that these kids will love, you know, in Bloomington, all, shout out all my Bloomington guys. If anybody's still out there, let's link up together. Let's do something. Let's put something off for these kids, man. I'm tired of going back home and going back to the quad cities and it's just desolate. Like there's just there's nothing going on. There's they're only building more casinos and stuff for us to spend money at. Nothing for us to build and really enjoy our culture and really build with one another. So let's let's get on it man i'm down to do the work we got to find a place for these kids to get their first kiss at you know what i'm saying like i got my first kiss at the culture fest like my first real kiss you know what i'm saying not not like a mwah, when you're in first and second grade no i'm talking about that 12 13 year old mwah, 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 i got my first real kiss at the culture fest so we got to get these boys their first kiss you know what i'm saying because how in the world are they going to grow up and have a loving relationship? And how in the world are they going to see the example of, you know, your grandparents up stepping and dancing and showing that, hey, we've been together for 37 years, but we still rocking and we happy in this thing. Like, we don't have no more events to showcase that kind of stuff, man. So, you got to do it, man. But anyways, uh, I've been reading a book uh, called The Five Love Languages, uh, by Gary Chapman for the past few years, man. Um the reason why I've been reading this book for so long and kinda just reading it over and over again is because number one, I've been married and I've been divorced. So obviously I didn't do something right. So I'm willing to learn from other people's mistakes as well as my own to try to better myself and not make the same mistakes in in any relationship that I get in. So one book that I, I really feel has changed my perspective and helped me be more successful in my relationships is The Five Love Languages. And this book is really dope. You know, it's, the, the premise of the book is people have different languages in which they love in or which they receive love. You know, um, everybody has this thing called an imaginary love tank. And you fill it by these different love languages. So if somebody speaks words of affirmation, then that means that you have to tell them nice things. That's how they feel loved. That's how you'll make your spouse feel good or your your significant other feel good um, or feel valued. Maybe it's acts of service where you do nice stuff for them and they interpret that as love. Maybe it's receiving gifts or spending quality time with one another or physical touch. So there's all all different you know these five different languages in which you can speak to your lover and it fills their love tank basically, so it's just putting in the groundwork, actually learning your partner's, you know, uh, personality type and what their love language is. It has a really awesome personal profile that you can fill out basically to find out what your love language is. It asks you a bunch of different questions and stuff like that. And me and my lady did it, and it's it's been amazing. We did it within the first six months of the relationship, and we've been rocking, you know, we've been rocking ever since, and that's. That's been a while. That's been a long time since then. So it's really awesome um, what a little piece of literature or a little a little knowledge can do for your relationship, especially avoiding making the same mistakes that maybe you've made before. So, like I said, take it for somebody who's made some mistakes. Check out this book if you haven't. Once again, it's The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. Um, but I appreciate you guys for tuning in this episode to the Proper English Podcast with your boy Blake the Great. I just want to leave you guys with this. Cream of wheat and oatmeal are sweet breakfast cereals. They are sweet, hot breakfast cereals. Grits are a savory, salty breakfast, hot cereal that you eat with eggs and cheese and shrimp and other shit like that. Got it? It's the Proper English Podcast, Blake the Great. Peace.